This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Consumed, How Markets Corrupt Children, Infantilize Adults, and Swallow Citizens Whole, our guest today, Benjamin Barber, shows how our traditional liberal democratic society is colonized by an all-pervasive market imperative. Public space is privatized, identity is branded, our world homogenized. Today, driven by a frantic imperative to sell, consumer capitalism specializes in the manufacture not of goods, but of needs. Barber is the Gershon and Carol Kesk Professor of Civil Society and Distinguished Professor at the University of Maryland, a Senior Fellow of Demos, and President and Director of CivWorld. Benjamin Barber, welcome to Weekly Signals. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice to be with both of you, Mike and Nathan. Well, nice to be, well, to have you up the uh, coast from us here. You're in uh, Los Angeles? I'm today? in Los Angeles. I'm doing Tavis Smiley tomorrow, and I'm doing a fellowship at USC uh, this week, so I'm, I'm spending some time in L.A. Oh, very good. And and you were on the Colbert Report, I think, last week. I was week. on Colbert last yeah. week, and for yeah. those of your listeners who missed it, they can go on my website at benjaminbarber.org and plug right into it. Perfect. Now, now just out of curiosity, do you, did it, you enjoy that interview? Is that something that's fun to do, the Colbert show? It is fun. He's a terrific character, and he's a very nice man, and he has this wonderful persona he puts on, and uh, he is a little like Borat. It's kind of yes. American Borat. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put <laughs> it. He's very funny, and it, and it actually, he gives you plenty of time to talk about your work, but he's also entertaining, and, and it uh, really it affects a lot of people. Well, well good. You know, it, it's such a high-wire act, i got to tell you, because his sensibilities are obviously different than his character, and so he, it's sort of, uh, it's sometimes a difficult uh, line for him to walk where he's trying to get you to... You're out. Your your opinions out there, but at the same time, kind of harass you, and it's sort of a it's a fun little. Uh, that thing. is, you're right, and you have to kind of stay stay relaxed and yeah. uh, laid back and just let it happen. <laughs> well, yeah. now tell us, how do markets corrupt children and infantilize adults? Well, here's the background. I mean, what some people say, oh, this is another attack on capitalism, and it really mm-hmm. isn't an attack on capitalism. It's a kind of defense of capitalism the way it's supposed to be mm-hmm. versus the way it's become. And you know, capitalism once had a great formula, you know, for about five centuries, from the 15th century right down to the 20th century, that worked something like this: if you produce goods for people with real needs and wants, you can make a better world and you can make a profit for yourself. And that kind of hitches together self-interest and altruism and creates a synergy between the energy of people who produce things and the needs that people have. And it creates a more prosperous world. Capitalism worked that way in Europe and America for a long time. But what's happened today is that as the world gets more divided between those with a lot of needs, namely in the third world, and our world where most people have satisfied most of their core needs and wants, capitalism has gotten into not producing goods to meet real needs, but actually manufacturing needs to sell all the goods it has. And on the way to doing that, it's been infantilizing adults, it's been corrupting children and targeting them as consumers, and it's been taking up more and more of our days and nights and weeks and years uh, as consumers and shoppers, leaving us little time to do anything else. It's getting a little tougher to squeeze in all of the uh, uh, of the uh, kind of bombardment that we that we're subjected to, isn't it? And in terms of they're running out of places to 
to uh, to hit us. Well, it really is, and it's kind of when you find out what they're now doing. For example, they're actually paying college kids to rent their foreheads to put advertising logos on. We've seen basketball players with uh, logos uh, in their haircuts and so forth. Uh, there are kids who are renting their backsides for kind of uh, scatological advertising. And, of course, we see it in space. We see it on the Internet. We see the pop-up ads. We see signage day and night. I mean, if, if, this, were, if this were Islamic or Christian advertisements, we'd think we live in a theocracy. And if they were political ads, we'd think we live in a totalitarian country. Because it, but because they're all commercial ads, we somehow think that adds to our liberty, and it doesn't. Yeah, well, it's, it's become kind of a religion, the, the capitalism has in this sense. Now, do you think it was a religion before? Well, interestingly, I mean, it had a great relationship to religion, because the great sociologist Max Weber wrote a book about the Protestant ethos and the rise of capitalism, and what he said is that early capitalism that had to produce a lot of goods when there wasn't much uh, stressed the virtues of hard work, of altruism and of deferred gratification. And nowadays, and that was a kind of connection between Puritanism and Protestantism on the one hand, and the virtues and values that were needed for productivist capitalism to work. Today, we don't want people to produce, we want them to consume. We don't want them to save, we want them to spend. And so we have a new ethos, I call it the infantilist ethos, that dumbs us down, that puts the, uh, the that kind of values impulsive shopping, that turns adults into kids and turns kids kids into consumers, and that is a set of values which I think is really at odds with uh, the American way of life. Was there a point in time where this, where we all went wrong? Is there some place that you can point to, uh, at least in the development of this country in the last 50 years? Well, where... I think there is, and I, I think that has to do with the logic of capitalism uh, sort of at its success outrunning the market. I mean, what happened really is that capitalism did such a good job of satisfying core needs and wants that sometime after World War II, when most people had a car or a refrigerator or a home, I mean the middle class, of course, there are still many Americans who lack it, but the majority have what they need, and at that at that point, capitalism found itself. Everybody had, for example, an LP collection in the 60s when I was growing up, and a record collection that had all the music they wanted. And there was no way to keep selling LPs, so they started changing formats. You know, and so you got tapes, and then eventually you got uh, digitalization and CDs. And in effect, in my lifetime, I've had to reproduce the same music library three <laughs> or four different times. Now, that's a kind of wasted obsolescence that makes me consume stuff I don't really need, but it's the way capitalism was trying to keep itself afloat because people like me were not really making demands for goods anymore. So capitalism is caught up in this logic of having to produce more and more, even though those with money have uh, fewer and fewer needs. The other side of that, gentlemen, though, is, of course, that a lot of the world and a lot of America still have a lot of core needs, but they don't have the wealth to be in the marketplace. So the question is, can we get capitalism back to serving the real needs of people who have needs and wants instead of manufacturing needs and turning the rest of us into 24-hour-a-day shoppers? There's there's something uh, that you said earlier about the... Uh... I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh! Not that. Oh much. no! I'm I wanted sorry, to get I'm no, too much. No, no, no! <laughs> I, no, I just yeah, had. Yeah, I'm, yeah, no, I let, slow down and let you guys get in here. <laughs> no, no, you're doing. Uh, this is perfect. I uh, know. I wanted to talk to you about the civic resp- the the impact on on civics. What what kind of a uh, um, well, that's exactly what I was going to say okay. too. When it, after 9/11, Bush comes out and tells everyone to shop. He doesn't tell people to uh, you know. Uh, Think about what it means to be an American. He doesn't talk about liberty. He says, go out and shop. And you have uh, you talk about civic schizophrenia in your book. How does that apply to what 
what is going on. Well, I'm glad you reminded us of what happened after 9-11, because that was a perfect time to talk to Americans as citizens and say, look, we're neighbors, we're citizens of the same country and the same world, we've got to work together and cooperate, we've all got to make some sacrifices. And instead of making a public civic appeal, the president made a private commercial appeal. In effect, to show your normal to see, go back to shopping, go back to the mall. And that was to really kind of split us into two oppositional parts. You know, and you find that in all of us. You find the private shopper who makes consumer choices around the selfish manufactured wants that the advertising and marketing industries force on us. And then there's a the citizen in us who sort of think better of it. And let me give you an example. I, I'm in L.A. Uh, right now to do the Tavis uh, Smiley Show, and uh, you notice here there's nothing in the way of real public transportation. But I have never seen a city that has a bigger private choice of cars. You can, you know, you can find any car. When I came into Hertz, they said, you want our prestige collection, you want our fun collection, you want a Jag, you want a Hummer. You know, every possible choice privately for this or that brand of car, but no choice for public transportation doesn't exist. And no matter which kind of car I rent and no matter how many cars individual shoppers buy, they will not get themselves a decent public transportation system because that is a product of citizens working together through democratic institutions to make public choices. And we are living in a world where we are relegated to trying to use our private choices to affect the contours and outline of our public world. And that's why we have an ecological crisis. That's why we have a traffic crisis. That's why the world doesn't look the way as citizens we want it to look, even though all of us can get all the stuff privately that we want. It really does sort of disempower us uh, in a way. Now, I hear, you often hear people talk about how they vote with their pocketbook. They make consumer choices based on what they think will be the most uh, most public benefit. And uh, that's yeah, you're right. That's what we've been left left with. It's it's really quite sad. Um, well, that think- is that disempowerment is exactly the word because for thirty or forty years we've been hearing. Government's the problem, the market's the solution. Stop acting as a citizen, use your dollars in the marketplace to, in effect, vote with your dollars through private choices. And what we've really done thereby is to disempower ourselves of the common power that comes with making choices together and working together as citizens. You can't undo one by one as consumers all the problems that we've created together as a nation. That has to be done by us as a nation of citizens working together. And look, I I'll be the first to say in the 60s and 70s, maybe the welfare state had gotten so big and the market had been so pushed back that we had to right the balance a little bit. And Reagan kind of said, look, we need a little more market capitalism. We need a little more individualism and entrepreneurship, more private choice, fine. But today we've arrived at a point where it's unbalanced in the other direction. We've got all market and no democracy. We've got all consumers and no citizens. And that's really out of whack, too, because capitalism works best when it's hitched up to uh, the horses pulling the wagon of capitalism, of democracy, of citizens working together to regulate and direct capitalism. Without that, capitalism goes off the tracks. Well, well to me, the, the, the election of George Bush in 2000 was the pinnacle, the ascendancy of the corporate state. That, that this, he, his administration has, it continues to demonstrate just how much more important they view 
corporate America than they do citizen America. Well, I think that's right, but I have to say, you know, I want to be a little bipartisan. I'm sure you probably have a few Republicans in your audience, and I want to remind <laughs> us all that, you know, I worked with the Clinton administration, but the fact is new Democrats in the yeah. Clinton administration were very soft on, you know, corporations, very soft on business. I mean, we haven't really had somebody who takes seriously the power of citizens to make the final sovereign decisions about the kind of country we want to live in uh, since uh, probably the great society, since Lyndon Johnson. You know, it's been... It's it's been a long time. Democrats and Republicans alike have been soft on the market and pretty tough on saying, oh, it's all government. Let's get government off our backs. Right. And when we got government off our backs, we suddenly found ourselves disempowered in the word that you used. We're, we're speaking with Benjamin Barber. The book is consumed. And I, it goes back to something that I'd heard uh, when Clinton was president, that, uh, the, that they, the Republican conservative movement has been trying to dismantle the New Deal for 50 years. And and the the way that they eventually were able to dismantle a lot of it was an inside job was a democrat who in fact did dismantle a good deal of the uh, of that uh, of that part of our our history um i i'd also go back to what bush said just uh, recently about the sacrifice that americans have uh, been forced to make over the war in iraq and his response was we've been forced to watch it on tv and <laughs> that that kind of plays into what i think you're you're talking about here is well, it does the sort of passive consumer versus the active citizen who does something about it. But I want to go back to what you said, I think, very prudently about uh, Roosevelt and, and, and the New Deal, because what happened in the New Deal, of course, was not an era of big government and quashing capitalism. It's actually the administration that saved capitalism yeah. from itself. And the fact is, historically, whenever democratic institutions have worked together with capitalism to help oversee it, regulate it, direct it, keep it honest, keep it operating in the name of the entrepreneurship and competition, which it believes in, then it has gone well. Whenever capitalism has kind of got out in front, as after the Civil War and the gilded era of the great monopolies that were built then, and again in the 50s and now recently in the last 20 or 30 years, whenever that happens, it's not just democracy that gets in trouble, capitalism gets in trouble. And part of the point of my book is to say, look, it's not just democracy, it's capitalism that's in trouble because it's no longer meeting real needs, it's manufacturing needs, it's targeting children, and despite that, it's not really doing that well. So that unless we recreate the synergy between democratic institutions and capitalist institutions, we're likely to see capitalism itself go under. Well, you're suggesting we, we uh, make products that solve solutions rather than to make products that we can wear on our feet. To well, yeah, look I'll give good you a very in. concrete example. Yeah. Yeah. I know sometimes this stuff's a little abstract. Yeah. You know, when we talk about it and about capitalism and markets and so on, and we live in a country where anybody anywhere can get clean tap water right out of their faucet. You know, we can drink. We get. We're very lucky that way. Our reservoirs and our groundwater are clean, and we basically can drink the water that's in our taps. And that water comes to us through pipes that doesn't use any gas and oil to bring it to us, and so on. But today. Manufacturers sell bottled water in restaurants and all over the country to Americans, and it is now, believe it or not, a $10 billion a year, $10 billion a year business selling bottled water to people who have at their uh, fingertips clean water for free at their taps. Meanwhile, in the third world... There are billions of people without potable water. They can't even wash their clothes in the water that's there. So, in fact, there's a real need around the world for, if not bottled water, 
entrepreneurial solutions to bad water, like small pumps that can pump it from underground, clay, filters that you can make by hand in African villages to filter the water. But instead of addressing those real needs, capitalism is busy compelling us, persuading us that we need to drink bottled water and making $10 billion off of it, but not addressing the real needs in the water crisis around the world. Do you think capitalism's gotten lazy here? Is is that why we're in the situation? You know, that's a great point. And I said that early capitalism believed in deferred gratification and so on. And the trouble is now it's like a kid. Capitalism is a kid that wants its rewards today, quarterly profit sheets. You know, a slight slight, uh, uh, little uh, downfall in profits means you just don't do it. And the fact is to make new money in new areas of entrepreneurship, you've got to defer profit. You've got to take some risk. Capitalism is all about rewarding risk over time. But we don't take risk anymore. I just read a piece about how Toyota had overtaken GM as the primary car maker in the world because Toyota took the risk of developing hybrid cars, knowing down the line they'd be wanted. And GM, which had a great hybrid model a dozen years ago, said, oh, forget it. Americans want big muscle cars and SUVs. So GM said, we're not taking the risk. We want a good quarterly profit in 1990. And the result is in 2007, they've been overtaken by uh, by Toyota. So, you know, capitalism works well when it takes risks, when it defers gratification, and as you say, when it gets lazy, when it makes the easy stuff to sell to kids and manufacturers' needs instead of goods that we need, it takes a shortcut that in the end dooms it to failure. It is where the money is. Right, I mean that's where the, this it's where is the where, money is short term. Th- this but, is, I mean, yeah, again, right. the question is, is where, do you think short term or long term? Right, and this is the nexus of where government and capitalism have in the past worked well. Is that government has been able to help uh, direct some of this capitalist uh, impulse into helping us, and that's and that has been the failure. Certainly, it's been a failure on the part of this, this current administration. No, I think that's exactly right. That that synergy between a, a political system that's owned by its citizens that looks long-term right, right. and says, yeah, but we don't just want to produce goods, we want to produce jobs, we don't just want to produce uh, superficial goods that aren't needed, but goods that really help us solve problems, and then the state uh, political institutions help direct capitalism that way, and capitalism continues to be entrepreneurial and competitive and makes money uh, for those who produce things, but it also helps us solve our problems. And with the failure of that partnership right. and with the market kind of running itself, it's really running itself into the ground because it has this short-term uh, tomorrow imperative of make your bucks right away and don't worry about later, and capitalism always fails under those circumstances. Well, Benjamin Barber, you're talking about something that I find what I call the tyranny of expectations, which is what Wall Street sets up for so many, for all of these industries. They set up these expectations, and if they're not met, you see a lot of these companies under incredible pressure to produce more and more profit at the expense of the things that you're talking about. Well, that's a great term, and of course it's related to what others call the race to the bottom, because the problem is if somebody tries to defy that, if a firm, a corporation defies that, they find that they're out-muscled in the short term by other corporations, you know, that push them out of business so that uh, they find themselves in a kind of race to the bottom. The guy who has the most superficial goods at the highest prices uh, that don't really meet real needs in the short run succeeds, even though in the long run they take the whole system down, and that's why you need to intervene in the market system, which can't fix itself from inside right. uh, with external democratically inspired uh, direction and regulation right. and so on. It, it, We're it, speaking with Benjamin Barber. The book is Consumed, How Markets Corrupt Children, Infantilize Adults, and Swallow Citizens Whole. 
I, I just wanted like, to say, capitalism reminds me in some ways of water. It seeks its own level. If you put water on on the ground, it will go to the places, the low end, the low spots on the, on the ground, because that's where they, there's a need. It's a perceived need, and that's why we need this partnership with government, I think. That's a great metaphor, and I think that's exactly right. And, man, if, if, if capitalism started taking on the real water crisis, yeah. in the <laughs> world, for example, Speaking or the real malaria crisis or the AIDS crisis, I mean, instead of selling Botox to make old people <laughs> think they're young in the U.S., if the pharmaceuticals could find cheap retrovirals that would deal with AIDS in the third world, what a difference that would make, and yeah. capitalism would flourish as well. Yes, Down here in Orange County, uh, we live in the, I like to say, the birthplace of the megachurch. I'm not particularly proud of that. How do megachurches play into this whole uh, yeah. infantilizing adult thing? Well, one of the things that's happened with all-consuming capitalism is that it's turned all the other sectors into market sectors, so that politics becomes about selling politicians as kind of commodities to us. And imagine a gangly, awkward figure like Lincoln on television uh, today. You know, he'd never be, he never would have been, never would have been elected. Uh, Roosevelt never even could have run because he's in a wheelchair, you know, and that would have shown up and he wouldn't have even run. A lot of our greatest presidents never could have even made it. The churches are the same way. The churches have turned into uh, uh, televangelism where it's all about raising bucks, it's all about selling image, it's all about the personality and celebrity of the preacher rather than the sanctity of religion or the holiness of God. And as a result, religion too, if you like, has been corrupted. I say said how markets corrupt uh, children, but you could also say how they corrupt politics and how they corrupt religion. And certainly religion has been badly corrupted by its kind of marketization and selling and becoming an object of consumption rather than an object of prayerful reverence. Is there a, a, a first step we can take to get out of this uh, this consuming mode that we're I, in? I think there is, and I think there's a kind of dual step we can take. One is as parents and individuals where we begin to resist the constant temptation and seduction to spend our lives as shoppers. Parents are called gatekeepers by marketers, and the marketers say the goal is to get the gatekeepers out of the way so they can get at the children. Well, parents ought to insist on their gatekeeping function, and this is something maybe on which conservatives and progressives can agree, that the role of parenting is important. And uh, the conservatives used to complain that the state, welfare state, used to force the gatekeepers, moms and dads, out of the way. Today, it's the market that's forcing moms and dads out of the way. So the first thing we can do as parents and moms and dads is take responsibility again for our children, refuse uh, to let them be targeted. But the second thing we have to do is retrieve our power as citizens, yes. re-embrace our democracy, not talk about government as an it, but an us. Stop being cynical about the politicians who we vote for and recognize that democracy depends on the quality of its citizens as much as the quality of its leaders. And if it's not doing well, that's our fault. And we've got to get reinvolved. So not allowing ourselves to be talked out of our citizenship by all this market stuff that comes down, but instead understanding that as citizens, we can help right the market. We can help redirect capitalism. We can help recreate that marvelous synergy between capitalism and democracy that has been characteristic of the United States at its most productive, prosperous, and democratic. Very good. Well, I want to thank you very much, Benjamin Barber, for coming on Weekly Signals. The book is Consumed, How Markets Corrupt Children and Infantilize Adults and Swallow Citizens Whole. And I know I am probably butchering that one word, infant. That's infantilize. 
I, I, we had a, we we had had a, a discussion, discussion before. before the infantilize before. or infantilize. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I sure think I mean, a lot of what you said is just right on the mark, and obviously you've been talking about these issues on your show yes. for a long time, and that's just great. Well, right. well, thank you so much. Benjamin Barber, we'll see you soon. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.